0: This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. The year was... Yes, it was. The year was 2014, 2007 rather... The spring of 2007, and it was the 400th anniversary of America's first landing. America's first landing. It first happened there at uh, Virginia Beach, where they planted a cross. And then Captain Christopher Newport and his fellows sailed up the James River to the place of Jamestown, where they planted a cross. And ten days later, Virginia's Dabney, in his history of the city of Richmond, Virginia, declared that they sailed up the James River to the place of the falls, and there they planted a cross. They prayed, gave a great shout, and it drew the Indians. That's page one of Virginia's Dabney's history of the city of Richmond, Virginia. Might it surprise you then that this is the place that God called us to come 30 years ago, to plead his cause in the land once again as a final plea for America to return to the God who made and preserved her as a nation. At that time, in the spring of 2007, we prepared a newsletter. As we had done every year for many, many years. It was called the 400th Anniversary Edition, and it's called... America at the cross road. America at the cross road. And do you know that America is at the crossroad now more than she was then in 2007, at the 400th anniversary of America's first landing and founding? Today we want to talk about that. We want to talk about the crossroad. And the reality is that the road to the cross is very difficult. In fact, the road to the cross is deemed despicable. Not only is the road to the cross deemed despicable, but the cross itself is deemed despicable. It's deemed despicable in China. It's deemed despicable in Muslim nations. And it's deemed despicable in the United States of America. And apparently, in large measure, in many of our churches. You say, wow. You've got to be kidding. No, I'm not kidding at all. The cross has fallen on extremely hard times. Today, on Viewpoint, we talk about the curse of the cross. We think about Well, the the thief on the cross, or Christ on the cross. But how about the curse on the cross? Indeed, the Bible says that everyone that hangs on a tree is cursed. It was a reference to how Jesus would be crucified on a tree or on the cross. In fact, his curse was such that they had to make sure that his body was taken down before sundown on the eve of the Passover, which was called a Sabbath. Not the Sabbath, but a Sabbath. One of the premier reasons why there has been such historical confusion and uh, false tradition concerning the death of Christ on the cross and when it occurred is because of the misunderstanding or false reading of A statement in the gospel that says, and the Sabbath day drew on. Well, it said the Sabbath day drew on, but it was not the Sabbath. It wasn't the seventh day Sabbath that drew on. It was a Sabbath day, i.e., Passover. So people concluded then, well, if it was the Sabbath day, then Jesus must have been crucified on Friday. And so they called it Good Friday, saying that Jesus was crucified on Friday because the Sabbath drew on. No, that is not a correct understanding of what happened. It was a Sabbath that drew on, i.e., the Passover. That's why they had to get him off the tree quickly before sundown. And so from that point on, as we discussed the other day, on the pathway to Passover, we revealed how Jesus actually came into Jerusalem on Sunday. We call it Palm Sunday. His triumphal entry, declaring himself king and lord of the temple. And then he began for several days to be observed by Israel for four days, just as they were to observe under the law the lambs that they were prepared to slaughter on Passover to make sure that they were without blemish. So for the same period of time, Jesus was in their presence to be observed by Israel and even by Rome to determine whether or not he was a lamb without blemish to be offered up for the sins of the people. At the conclusion of four days after the Jewish leaders had arrested Jesus taken him to trial at the home of the high priest, early in the morning on Wednesday, they took him before Pontius Pilate to accuse him. They suborned perjury of many in order to testify falsely concerning what Jesus had done or said. And so Pontius Pilate asked them, shall I crucify your king? And their answer echoes down through history, we have no king but Caesar. Therefore, if they have no king but Caesar, they're going to get Caesar again. Just as Caesar ruled them in the days of Christ when he came the first time, so Caesar, in the form of a unbelievable resurrected Roman Empire that is forming as we speak, will rule them again. But in the meantime, G. Pontius Pilate looking at what was happening there, said, I don't find any fault in this man. In other words, a crusty Roman governor declared the truth concerning the Lamb of God, whose death and sacrifice would take away the sin of the world. He said, I find no fault in him. In other words, he's worthy to be sacrificed as the Lamb of God. And so he was. On Wednesday, around 9 o'clock in the morning, he passed away, gave his last breath around 3 o'clock in the afternoon. There was a great earthquake. So much so, and the sky darkened, and the centurion, the Roman centurion, unlike the religious leaders of Jesus' day in Israel, declared, surely this was the Son of God. But there are many who don't believe that Yeshua or Jesus was the Son of God. Muslims do not believe that Jesus was the Son of God. And we're going to find out exactly what that really means. That is, that they don't believe that he's the Son of God. But the next question is, let's suppose that you and I do believe that Jesus is the Son of God. How is it that the cross could have fallen on such hard times in America? We want to talk about that here today on Viewpoint because it may help us to reveal what our hope is or the curse on the cross. We'll be right back. This is Viewpoint. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Meyer. Not only does the scripture say cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, but it also says that Christ, by hanging on the cross, took the curse of the law. So the curse was put on the cross on the cross via Christ's perfect, unblemished body as the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. So when we call this program today, the curse on the cross, it's biblical. There was a curse on the cross. The Bible says there was a curse on the cross. Cursed is everyone that hangs on the tree. But it was necessary for that curse to be placed on The unblemished Lamb of God, who would then take away not only the sins of the world, but would take the curse of the law from us. The problem with that is we have to embrace the cross. But that's not popular these days. To embrace the cross is probably the most negative thing that anyone could talk about today. About 15 years ago, Michael Card, the musician, joined me on this program to talk about his uh, small book. He was a musician now, renowned as a musician, but he had written a small book called A Dangerous Cross, as I recall. And we were there to interview him concerning that book. Well, during the course of the interview, he interrupted and said, Chuck, I think your listeners need to know something about this book. He said, when I went to Christian publishers to get this book published, they refused. He said, it wasn't one or two that refused. They all refused. He said, I want you to know what they told me when they refused to publish this book. Now, are you ready to hear what uh, Michael Card said? He said, they refused to publish the book because they said That the cross doesn't sell well anymore. The cross doesn't sell well anymore. And so, if the cross doesn't sell well, then what we're actually doing is reverting or reversing the curse that was placed on the cross in our stead and deciding, apparently, to take the curse back upon ourselves because we don't like the cross. We're refusing to embrace the cross. And yet the famous song once said, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, where the burdens of my heart rolled away, it was there by faith I received my sight, and now I'm happy all the day at the cross. We used to sing another song, in the cross of Christ I glory. Really? Not so much these days. No. In the cross of Christ we cringe. Now that having been said, can you explain why over the past 50-60 years there have been an increasing number of cases across the United States of America, the land of the free, claiming to be the home of the brave with a a nation under God, why there would be so many legal cases brought to tear down the crosses all over a country. Try to explain that. This is the land that Alexis de Tocqueville, a secular Frenchman, spoke about in his book Democracy in America after reviewing American life for approximately nine months from uh, about uh, 1830 to 1831 or so. He said, It wasn't until I went to the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with fire Did I understand the secret of her genius and power? He said it wasn't as if everyone in America was a Christian, but it was as if the Bible was so authoritative among all the people that it governed them universally, which means they were submissive, at least in general broad spirit, to the cross they realized that the cross was at the very heart of America's life and hope. So when we find legal cases for the past 50, 60 years multiplying to get rid of both the cross and the Ten Commandments, what we're really seeing is an effort, a categorical and uh, unrestrained virtually effort to remove all remembrance in American life and respect for that which is the only source of America's hope. Taking us all the way back to 1607. Taking us all the way back to Virginia Beach, the first landing in 1607. And a few days later at Jamestown, I have pictures of that cross at Jamestown. In fact, you'll find them, as I recall, in my newsletter that came out. Well, do I have it there? Yes, I do. It's in the last page of the newsletter. Cross fallen on hard times. Preachers don't want to preach about it. Musicians don't want to sing about it. Publishers don't want to print about it. It just doesn't market well. We used to sing, the cross made the difference for me. Now we trust the counselor and the Congress to change our lives. We used to sing to the old rugged cross, I will ever be true, but now we proclaim to myself, I will always be true. We used to take up our cross, but now we take up our rights. To be crucified with Christ used to be the Christian way, but now we sing, I'll do it my way. Crucifying Christ afresh and putting him to an open shame, indeed the cross has fallen on hard times. I urge you to go to our website, saveus.org, saveus.org, and uh, look under newsletters and scroll down to the spring of 2007. I urge you to read that entire newsletter. Not just the feature article, but the entire newsletter. I encourage you then to print it out. You might actually want to print out multiple copies and give it to your pastor, to your Sunday school class, to use it as a means of communication. Friends, I'm telling you, this article says it all. America at the Crossroads. Again, the website, saveus.org. At the website, you can also find our book, Renewing the Soul of America, one person at a time, beginning with you. I hope you'll avail yourself of it. It's an $18 book, yours for $15. It's on our website, saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 2.0. Three, two, five, five, writing a check and five dollars for postage and handling. At the end of the program, the final segment of the program, I'm going to ask you a very serious question. It comes in the form of a song. That's right. In the form of a song, but it's a very, it's probably one of the most serious questions that could be asked in this moment of time. Now, before we get to that, let's ask a question. Uh, Why do Muslims hate the cross? Which they do. Well, here's the reason. As Christians prepare to celebrate Easter, Muslims continue to desecrate that one symbol most representative of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that is the cross. Why? Well, most recently, for instance, in France on March 16, 2023, a Muslim man smashed a church's six-foot-tall a cross which had stood since the 1600s into pieces. A week later, also in France, another Muslim man broke off and desecrated the crucifixes affixed to some 30 graves. A couple weeks before that, in neighboring Belgium, a 16-year-old convert to Islam arrested on terrorist-related charges had earlier videoed himself smashing crosses. For starters, not only is the symbol of Christianity, it's also symbolizing the fundamental disagreement between Christians and Muslims. Maybe you didn't know this, by the way. The cross publicly declared those very points of Christian faith, which the Quran in the Muslim view, explicitly denied. That is, that Christ was the Son of God and that he died on the cross. Now, Muslims do believe in Jesus. They called Him Isa. But they believe that he's the one that's going to exalt the Muslim Messiah, the 12th Imam, and give authority to him to rule the world. That's what they believe. And they do not believe, not only do they not believe in the cross, they don't believe that Jesus died on the cross. Therefore, they don't believe that he rose again. So from the very start, Of the 7th century Muslim conquests of Christian lands, there was an ongoing campaign to erase the public symbols of Christianity, especially the previously almost everywhere sign of the cross. Well, friends, that same thing is going on in America. Has been going on for 60 years now. Even in our churches. Have you noticed yet? Testimonies abound for the very earliest invasions into Christian Syria and Egypt of Muslims systematically breaking every crucifix they entered, encountered. According to Anastasius of Sinai, a Sinai who lived during the seventh century Arab conquests, he said the demons named the Saracens or Arabs and uh, Muslims as their companions. The latter are perhaps even worse, he said, than the demons, for whereas the demons are frequently much afraid of the mysteries of Christ, among which he mentions the cross, these demons of flesh trample all that is under their feet, mock, and set fire to and destroy it. The comparison to demons is not without significance, says this article. Last year in Pakistan, for example, a Muslim man named Muhammad climbed atop top and wrapped himself around a large cross on church property and started spasmodically swinging his body in an attempt to bring it down all the while reciting Quranic verses shouting Islam's jihadist war cry, Alu Akbar, and threatening Christians. When he fell, it was the Christians that cared for him. For Muslims, it's the cross that is satanic. After referring to the crucifix as an element of the devil, Indonesian cleric Sheikh Abdul Somad said, while Muslims," Muslims feel a chill whenever they see a cross, In keeping with such logic, a Pakistani shoe seller placed the image of the cross on the soles of his shoes so that the crucifix might be trodden with every Muslim footstep. As with all things Islamic, hate for the cross traces back to the Muslim prophet Muhammad. When asked about Islam's ruling on whether anyone, even a Christian, is permitted to wear a cross, Sheikh Abdul Aziz al-Tarifi a Saudi expert on Sharia confirmed the hostility, said under no circumstances is a human permitted to wear the cross. Why? Because he said the prophet, that is Muhammad, peace and blessings on him, commanded the breaking of the cross. A few years ago in Turkey, authorities ruled the architectural elements of houses which even resembled crosses would not be tolerated, and they tore the houses down. Are You beginning to get the picture. Across the world, the cross is hated. But in America, the cross is hated, too. And that's why there are Supreme Court cases, cases in lower courts all across the country for the past 50, 60 years, trying to make the case to tear down every single cross possible in the country. So there would be no more remembrance of the cross. Over the word of God, it says, remember, remember, remember. But they don't want you to remember, my friends. And so they're removing the remembrance. Are you beginning to get the picture yet? So, why would the Supreme Court uh, rule removing a cross memorial would be hostile to religion? Well, interestingly, a Maryland World War I memorial in the form of a cross is going to be allowed to remain on public land. Why? Well, you need to understand what the Supreme Court actually said. And it tells us a story, friends, that doesn't bode well for America. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. This is Viewpoint. Viewpoint does determine destiny. Go to the website, saveus.org, under, not fact sheets. There is so much
1: more about Chuck Chrismeyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived Save America Ministries' website at saveus.org.
0: Again, it's not. It's the newsletters we want you to go to. The newsletters the 400th anniversary newsletter, right there on the website, saveus.org. It's called America at the Crossroad. I urge you to go to it. It's in full color, and uh, I think you'll be blessed. We're going to share some things from it uh, here in the second portion of the, the second half of the program here today. But before we get there, why is it that the Supreme Court would rule allowing a Maryland World War I memorial to remain on public land when others have been removed. This is important. After the Supreme Court overturned a lower court's ruling 7-2, so what does the decision mean for hundreds of challenges pending in lower courts, which say, which critics say, violate the First Amendment's Establishment Clause? In other words, that you can't have a cross or Ten Commandments or anything else of any kind of Christian significance on public land. Yet, by the way, that's how it got started. Remember, there at Jamestown, at First Landing, at Virginia Beach, and then at Richmond, they planted a cross. They didn't plant the cross as some sort of a traditional element. They planted the cross as a spiritual dedication of the country. In fact, the 29th of this month will be the day in which they actually did that in Virginia Beach. And there's going to be a a commemoration for that. It's called First Landing. You can look it up on the website. First Landing. But here's the picture. The 40-foot high monument there in Maryland, the Maryland World War I Memorial known as the Peace Cross, was built in 1925 to honor 49 county residents who died in World War I. Well, a few years ago, a group of local residents sued, saying the cross, which is maintained by the state, violates the First Amendment's Establishment Clause, which bars government from favoring one religion over another. Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito wrote in the majority opinion that the monument has become a a prominent community landmark and that removing it now would be seen by many not as a neutral act but as the manifestation of a hostility toward religion. Justice Alito and a majority of the court said those now really are understood to be essentially monuments to valor, And they're not about religion. So we're going to let them be. Notice what the Supreme Court Justice said. These monuments, whether it's the Ten Commandments, whether it's a cross, they're not about the Christian faith. They're not about Christ. They're not about delivering us from the curse of the law. They're not about how America was founded, the basis upon which America was founded. No, they're just history. They're just tradition. They're just monuments to valor. That, my friends, has been the argument coming from some of the preeminent so-called Christian lawyers to try to preserve these monuments. They're actually making the argument that these things are not about the Christian faith, They're not about religion. They're not about uh, America's founding. They're not about the raison d'etre for our very being as a country. No, they're just monuments to valor. They're just history. Are you beginning to see what we're doing? Even in the name of Christ? We're denying the cross. We're actually compromising the very meaning of the cross in order to preserve a monument, instead of the master who hung on the monument. Are you listening? That's why we're in such deep trouble, friends. Even Christ can't save us if we continue to deny his sacrifice. Why should he? Jesus said, if you deny me, I'm going to deny you. If you deny the cross, you're denying Jesus. You're denying his very purpose. You're denying his sacrifice. You're denying the very essence of the Christian faith. And then we find it's not just in Muslim countries, friends, it's in China. Crosses removed from churches all over eastern provinces. Another, hundreds of challenges are pending in lower courts. Here's another one. China resumes cross removals. Another, since 2014, authorities in one province alone in China have torn down over 400 crosses. So here's the question that I have for you, though. If you look in your gathering place for your place of worship, do you see a cross there? It used to be in almost every place of worship, a cross was prominent. I'm not talking about now a crucifix. I'm not talking about Jesus hanging on the cross all disfigured and uh, dripping with blood and so on. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the cross. Again, we used to sing the song, At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light. Apparently we're not seeing the light anymore because we're not meeting at the cross. We used to sing at the cross of Christ I glory. Apparently we're not anymore. At the old rugged cross, I will ever be true. It's shame and reproach gladly bear. Really? Where do you know anybody uh, gladly bearing the reproach of Christ because of the cross? Very few, friends. It's not even preached for the most part in our congregations today. And when it is, it's done in such a lame fashion that nobody could come away realizing what really happened. It's not just that Jesus died on the cross. We know that. Why did he die on the cross? What was the significance of the cross? It was a place of curse. That's what it was about. Jesus, as the Apostle Paul said, Jesus was made a curse for us, for it is written, everyone who hangs on the tree is cursed. Without the cross, there is no remission of sin. Without the cross, there is no deliverance from the curse of the law. None. Absolutely none. For the past 50 years, it has become a pattern, in fact, almost a fad, across America to make sure that no cross hangs in a congregational setting. Now, why would that be when historically crosses always hung in congregational settings some way? Would you like me to tell you why? For the same reason that Michael Card said that the publishers would not print his book, A Dangerous Cross. They said, the cross doesn't sell well anymore. Ever since the church growth movement began in the 1970s, followed 15 years later by the seeker-sensitive movement, ever since that, the cross has been stripped away from the church house walls. And in large measure, so has the Ten Commandments. The Supreme Court may have taken the Ten Commandments off of the schoolhouse walls and the courthouse walls in 1982. But the church has taken them off voluntarily without court order. Why? Because we're people pleasers, that's why. If we were really interested in the salvation of people to eternal life, we would be emphasizing the cross. No, Jesus didn't stay on the cross. So people will argue, well, Jesus didn't stay on the cross, we want to celebrate the resurrection. That's great. Then celebrate the resurrection after he died on the cross. (laughs) But we don't want to do that. We want to celebrate the resurrection, but we don't want to deal with why the resurrection becomes important. As in Christ, all died even so, in Christ shall all be made alive, friends. So, the Bible tells, teaches us that we die with Christ on the cross. That's how the curse of the law is removed. Jesus died on the cross so that the curse would be removed. But if we do not, shall we say, embrace the cross and Christ in that way, We're still under the curse. That's why America's under the curse. We're just not being honest about even our own faith. Just not being honest. Well, one of those wonderful songs, How Great Thou Art, and when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. Then on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. Or how about the song we used to sing, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they nailed him to the cross? Why is that song, why is it written that way? To personify, somehow break through the stubbornness of our minds and hearts to identify with Christ on the cross. And what he did, he took our sin, but he also took our shame. So, When the old rugged cross used to be sung, we'd say, To the old rugged cross I will ever be true, its shame and reproach gladly bear. Is that true anymore? Is it true for you? We'll be right back. America at the
1: Crossroads. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Click Cell
0: Church. What a delight to join you here on Viewpoint to talk about the things that matter most. And that's what we try to do. Here we are approaching the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, having passed Passover, and now ready to celebrate the grandest, greatest event in the history of the world, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As the Apostle Paul said, if in this life only we have hope, we're of all people most miserable. So where is our hope? Our hope is in the resurrection. But there's no resurrection without the death. And we have to understand the seriousness and significance of the death in order to truly value the resurrection. For that which is obtained too cheaply is esteemed too lightly. I want to do just a little summary here for you of two foundings. The founding at Jamestown and Richmond, we'll call it Jamestown, halfway between the first landing at Virginia Beach and Richmond, Virginia. Three crosses planted. That was the beginning of America. Three crosses planted. And they had a memorial. I have seen the memorial at Berkeley 100. I've, I've been there at Jamestown. I've photographed all of those different memorials and so on. I really appreciated what they have there. But the problem is we cannot live in the past. The past has to become relevant in the present. Otherwise, our worship of our godly heritage is an idol. So, Sixteen O Seven was the date, uh, year in which those three crosses were planted, beginning life in America along America's birth river, the James River, where this this broadcast emanates and has emanated for the past twenty eight years. That's why God called us to this place. It was the beginning, and He wanted us to redeclare His purposes across the across the land from sea to not so shining sea. Up north, in a place called Massachusetts, Pilgrims landed in 1620. Thirteen years later, after the three crosses were planted there in Virginia. Their charter began with the words, in the name of God, amen. So be it. They actually ended up landing outside of the Virginia charter the same charter that would have allowed them the same place as the Virginia charter there at Jamestown, uh, where the three cross, uh, crosses were planted there in Virginia. But they had to have a different charter because they landed, they were blown off course and landed, uh, there in Massachusetts. So they began. The Puritans. Excuse me, the Pilgrims the pilgrims were called separatists in England. They did not believe that the Church of England could be remodeled, could be purified, could be restored to any real semblance of genuine biblical Christianity. And so they fled. They first went to Holland. And then years later, they came to America in 1620. In spite of a horrific winter that took the lives of about half of those pilgrims. They continued to keep their focus on God. However, at Jamestown, they experienced a similar kind of uh, uh, negative situation, but they ended up with massive infighting in the pursuit of gold. From that time on, America has been divided between the pursuit of gold in the name of God and the pursuit of gold, excuse me, the pursuit of God, as in Massachusetts, supported only by enough gold to keep them going. In other words, the balance was radically different. Then, in 1630, ten years later, came the Puritans. The Puritans had believed and hung in there with the Church of England thinking that they could purify the Church of England. But then they realized it couldn't happen. It was beyond purification. That's why so many people are realizing, for instance, the United Methodist Church is beyond purification. The elements of the Presbyterian Church are beyond, have beyond, uh, purification. And so they're separating out. That same thing happened then. But they relied upon the cross. The cross was at the heart of the pilgrims and the Puritans. They were absolutely committed to the lordship of Jesus Christ. You may not like how they went about securing that and protecting that, but that's what their their commitment was. Unlike what happened at Jamestown. So it was this contest, you might say, that has invaded our entire country and resulted in an ambivalence between the true and genuine worship of God and the worship of money. That's our history you want to read more about that, you can look it up on our website, saveus.org. Under the newsletters, go down to the uh, spring 2007 newsletter called America at the Crossroad, which is where we are right now. We are at a crossroad, an amazing crossroad, friend. Dr. Bill Bright, the uh, founder of a uh, Campus Crusade for Christ, they changed the name of it to try to be popular to America's culture today. Once again, trying to accommodate to the culture rather than to Christ. It was called Campus Crusade for Christ, but they got rid of the word Christ in their name. Amazing, isn't it? But Bill Bright wrote this, We stand at a crossroads to continue on the path to godliness or to return to the way of righteousness. He put that right at the top of the cover of my book, Renewing the Soul of America. D. James Kennedy, the late D. James Kennedy, wrote this in that book. Clearly, Chuck Chris Meyer clearly enunciates the choices facing Americans in this dangerous period of our God-blessed country, but God-warned country. The late greater uh, Peter Marshall wrote, this book needs to be read by every American who is concerned about the future of our great nation. Nancy Leigh Moss, who is now married, uh, Nancy Leigh uh, Wolgamuth, is her name now, an author and a broadcaster, said this message desperately needs to be heard and heeded before it's too late. And then also the, the late Adrian Rogers, one with that wonderful Bas uh, Profundo voice, said it would be glorious if every spiritual leader in America would read this book, Renewing the Soul of America. Now, if that would be good for every spiritual leader, don't you think it would be good for you? A book so easily to read? Do you know that the charters of 12 of the original 13 colonies in America declared Christ's great commission to reach the world with the gospel to be their founding purpose? Did you know that? How can we continue to do that if we deny the cross? Friends, we are at the crossroads in more ways than you can possibly imagine. How can you present a saving gospel when you refuse to teach and preach the power of the cross? The Apostle Paul said this. In fact, Jesus also reiterated the same thing. Jesus said, no man builds a building without first counting the cost. The Apostle Paul tried to emphasize the cost of discipleship. Jesus put it this way, if you are not able and willing to take up your cross, you cannot be my disciple. Then he went even further than that, and he said, in fact, if you don't take up your cross daily, you cannot be my disciple. In this day and age, friends, and in the months and whatever years God gives us again here upon this planet, we must learn what it means to take up the cross. It's not a bad thing. But if you're not willing to take up the cross, you're not willing to truly be a Christian. And so, A song was written by a a hymn writer called Isaac Watts, famous hymn writer. And the song is called, Am I a Soldier of the Cross? When my father passed away, he was a pastor for 50 years, and I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, who was my father from your point of view? Not from my point of view, but from your point of view. And he gave me an immediate answer. He said he was a soldier of the cross. He wasn't a perfect man, but he was a soldier of the cross. And he was actually known for that. In his teaching and his preaching. Here's what Isaac Watts penned. And he's penning this now for you and for me to answer. It's like a rhetorical question in the form of music. Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? And shall I fear to own his cause, or blush to speak his name? Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease, while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? Are there no foes for me to face? Must I not stem the flood for this vile world, a friend to grace, or is this vile world a friend to grace to help me on to God? Sure, I must fight if I would reign. Increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil, endure the pain, supported by your word. Your saints in all this glorious war shall conquer though they die. They see the triumph from afar, by face deserting eye. And when that illustrious day shall rise and all your armies shine, in robes of victory through the skies, the glory shall be thine. So the question is, are you a soldier of the cross? That's the question that lingers over today's program. And I ask myself the same question. This is not a question just for you. This is a question for all who profess the name of Christ. Are we really a soldier of the cross? How are we ever going to be able to stand in the evil day if we don't even know how to stand? If we've denied the cross in one way or another, when the tree is green, as Jesus said, What will we do when the tree is dry? When the mark of the beast comes, will you deny the cross and receive and pledge your allegiance to a counterfeit lamb? That's the issue. But for now, we live in this moment and are called to be a soldier of the cross. No wonder Paul talked about putting on the whole armor of God. That we be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand have our loins girt about with truth. And having on the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit, the hell of salvation, our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace and the breastplate of righteousness. Thanks for joining us here today. I trust that this has been helpful, encouraging. Are you a soldier of the cross? Get a copy of the book, Renewing the Soul of America. It will stir your heart and encourage you for such a time as this. $15 on our website, saveus.org, and become a partner, friend, send your gifts by faith. Do it today. Don't wait for the other guy to do it. Is God actually waiting on you?